Welcome to A Kingdom Perspective, uh, and happy 2018 to everybody. I'm Scott, and Steve's with me here as always, and uh, today we're going to be talking about A Kingdom Perspective on the purpose of the church. Going to be doing kind of a mini-series yeah, yeah. for a all, while. All these next few episodes, we're going to be um, kind of branching out and talking about A Kingdom Perspective on things related to the church. And I uh, figured it'd be a good a good way to start talking about the purpose, about why does the church exist. And uh, I know I know uh, Steve and I both um, have grown up uh, in and around the church quite a bit. We both have a lot of history with the church, right? Yeah, I grew up uh, going to church. My parents uh, started going to a little church uh, up in Michigan the year I was born. Uh, so the year I was born, our family started going, and I had kind of the unique opportunity to see my parents grow up in their faith and uh, to, to see myself grow up in the faith. And I am really forever grateful uh, to that church. I know you grew up in a different environment, but our church probably at its peak was, you know, in the low 100s, maybe right around 100 people or so. Uh, so it was a small church for a lot of the time and medium-sized church for part of the time, you know, about, about 100 people or, or so. And um, so much of what I've learned about God, uh, so much of what um, I've learned about faith. I, I learned in that in that little church. I mean, it was really formative to my faith. Uh, that church had problems, though. There was some internal conflicts. Imagine uh, that. A church had problems. I know. It's hard to believe, isn't it? That there was a, a slow kind of bleed of people over several years, and then there was actually a blow-up that resulted in quite a few people leaving. And by the time I went off to college, there was it was a church of maybe 20 people or so. And uh, by the end of my freshman year, they held their last service and closed the doors, uh, sold it to another church, basically. And and it, it really created in me, as I was a, a young pastor, preacher, leader, it created in me a desire to really help churches be healthy. And so I never really envisioned myself long-term, like going and just starting a bunch of churches. I always knew I was going to be in one church for a long time because I I feel uh, this commitment really core to my being of helping the church be healthy. I'm I'm a churchman. I can't imagine doing anything else. I love the church. Um, I breathe the church. I study the church. You and I talk about the church. Right. I'm a church guy. Yeah, I am too. I uh, grew up going to church from the earliest I can remember. My my dad uh, was raised Catholic. And when I was about four years old, my parents uh, transitioned into attending a, a, tr- a Christian church in uh, Flint, Michigan, where I was born, Calvary Christian Church. We, we, it was apparently my first church. I don't remember it, but uh, we short, shortly after we moved. I uh, forgot you attended Calvary real yeah. young. So I was, I was real young, but my parents, I know, remember that experience. And then we moved to the Detroit area and uh, started attending a relatively small, but not tiny, Church of Christ there in the, in the metro Detroit area. And and I think it was, we, we attended there until I was about in sixth grade. Uh, and my dad served as an elder in that congregation. He was one of the leaders there. And I was baptized at that church uh, when I was about 10 years old. And uh, when I was about sixth grade, um, just due to some things that were happening on the leadership and some differences, uh, my family ended up leaving that church and moving to Macomb Christian Church. And that church was a lot bigger. Even when we first started going there, they were in the, you know, about 400 people attending. And by the time I was in college, they, they had ballooned up to like 1,200 people. And so that, that was a different experience that, that I, all of a sudden I went from, you know, one of 
10 or 12 kids to a youth ministry that had like 50 or 60 high school students in it. And I was, you know, on a Bible bowl, like a Bible quiz bowl competition team. And there was a youth group and just all sorts of different opportunities and chaotic, but I I would imagine fun. Yeah. Exciting. Um, Lots of different things going on, lots of opportunities to serve in lots of different ways. Uh, My dad ended up as an elder in that church as well. Uh, And so my entire experience growing up in the church, I, I was an elder's kid. And so my, my dad was one of the leaders, one of the decision makers, and that colored my my experience at church a little bit. But he, he did a pretty good job of keeping the behind-the-scenes stuff behind the scenes and not exposing his kids to to what can be kind of ugly sometimes, the, the, you know, the, the way the sausage is made. Um, I, grew, I grew up an elder's kid, too. I forgot to mention that. My dad was an elder. Did you feel special or different as an elder's kid? Not really. Your church was pretty large. Because it's pretty big. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of us. There, there were a lot of elders kids in the youth ministry, and so it, it didn't feel like there, it was a really a position of privilege or anything like that. And your parents did a good job they of did. not I, perpetuating I, yeah, that Yeah, I mean, all. I think they did a really good job. And and there were, uh, I can't remember exactly how many, but a, a fair number of elders also. Like the leadership team between elders and staff at that particular church was pretty large. And between minister's kids and staff kids, it was like a third of our youth ministry. We had there's lots of kids in right. our, probably not that much, but lots of kids in our youth ministry that that had leader parents in the church. And part of the way that experience growing up in the church formed me happened uh, after the fact. Church was always important. We always we always went. That wasn't something we missed. When when I was old enough to start driving myself, I would hang out and spend the night on Saturdays at friends' houses sometimes. And the only rule that my parents had is that you be in church on Sunday on time. And as long as that's, you know, as long as you can do that, they gave me a lot right. of freedom. And But it was always, you know, this is what we do. We attend church and church is a priority and it's important. And, and a lot of my social life was organized around church between youth ministry and Bible competitions. A lot of my, a lot of my self-confidence came from growing to be a leader in my youth ministry and, and taking on, you know, responsibility and serving, you know, when, when I hit high school, I started serving in our children's ministry. And so a lot of my self-confidence and, and a lot of my spiritual gifts developed early on because I was in a church that let me serve young. Yeah, right. Um, and so that's... Which is so important. Yeah. And so that was a big part of it. But then I think the, the other side of that coin is that that church went through a really difficult time while I was in college. There was a, a big disagreement uh, over the, the direction that they were headed in. Um, and the result of that was a number of the staff and, and, and leaders, um, including my parents, ended up leaving that church. Um, and that hurt a lot. At the time, I was really angry, and I blamed lots of people. And and looking back, it doesn't really matter who's to blame, but what it did to me was it instilled in me, one, a really passionate, driving commitment to keep the church united, to to not divide a church, because I just saw how many people it hurt. I would, I would honestly, because I, I have the exact same passion for the exact same reason. I would resign and leave before I would split a church. Yeah, me too. I have seen what that does to people, and I just made a commitment very early on. I will never do this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important that people feel free to share differing opinions. I'm not saying that like absolutely. everybody has to line up and do what oh, I say, no, but no. but I'm saying like if it gets not that to, they would do that anyway. No, because no, <laughs> who am I? But if it gets to a point where I just can't go along with the direction this church is going in, correct? I have to leave. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's it's not a matter of I, I'm going to take people with me or I'm going. I have to go if I'm going to do something that's going to divide a church. I have to go. 
It's me that's the problem. Well, and you and I, we we share this because we could talk about this for a real long time. Uh, we, we both have this excitement and passion uh, for the church. And, you know, throughout history, you, you've seen the church kind of swing a couple different directions in terms of what, you know, the overarching discussion about what is the purpose of the church. And when you and I were in college, probably one of the main kind of thrusts of the purpose of the church back then was the evangelism model. I think that one of the the really big, common purposes for the church is the evangelism model. The idea that's found in the Great Commission uh, in Matthew 28, uh, where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And so from this came this idea that the, the primary purpose of the church is to draw unchurched people to Christian faith. And that's the philosophy behind the seeker-sensitive church that kind of rose to prominence in the 90s. Uh, and the, Willow Creek Community Church, right, pioneer the, of it. Right, yeah. this idea. And really, a lot of this idea came from like youth ministry right. and came from, came from youth movements and youth conferences that were going to be so attractional that we're going to draw these people in with all these really cool things, with all this great entertainment and all these different Very aspects. little congregational singing, right. mostly performance-based. Right. And so, yeah, this is the, the idea that, that since reaching the lost is ultimately the purpose of the church, then everything that the church does, from preaching to worship to the way the building is designed, is uh, designed to reach the lost. It's designed to, to meet the needs or the, or the desires of unchurched people, of people who are, are not believers. Um, and this, the idea here is that we will do anything and everything that we can to make a place where they feel comfortable. Right. The, the kind of question underneath it all is how can we please people that are not yet in church? And so, like you say, building design, we're dropping the cross from the look of the building. We're bringing in uh, more contemporary language. We're not really singing because that makes people uncomfortable. Right. And a lot of it is pleasing those uh, that, that are not yet Christians and trying to draw them in. Right. The question here is, what can we do to appeal to the non-Christian? Right. To make the experience more inviting, more comfortable, more familiar, to someone who has not yet entered into a relationship with Christ. And it's kind of an interesting question, but at the same time, I think it's the wrong question of of pleasing people outside the church. And there's a lot of reasons I don't think it's the exact quite right question, but one of them is we often don't know what we need. And so to kind of tailor something based on the needs of the people coming, we a lot of times don't know what we need. You see this biblically when uh, there's a story of um, a guy that had been paralyzed and his buddies hear that Jesus is coming into town. And so they put their friend, really good friends, they put him on a mat. They take him to Jesus. Jesus is teaching in a home. They tear a hole in the dude's yeah, roof. Yeah, right, because it's overflowing. <laughs> they can't get their friend to Jesus. So they take him to the roof. They dig a hole into the roof, and they lower him down to Jesus. And the first thing Jesus says to him is, your sins are forgiven. Right, like, thanks, Jesus. I can't walk. I can't walk. <laughs> right. But, but that's cool, too, I You're, guess. Right, yeah, yeah. And... So Jesus does go on to heal him. You know, it's not that Jesus is cold or callous toward his needs, but Jesus wants him to know you don't really know what you need. If all Jesus did was meet that the need that that guy realized that he had, I mean, he walks away, but he doesn't have his sins forgiven. Right. He's not. He hasn't entered into a saving relationship with Jesus. He can just walk. Yeah, and I think one of the other really interesting examples of it is John six 
where Jesus feeds the 5,000. Right. And he addresses that need. He addresses the need of the right. crowd. Right, he, does, he doesn't ignore that they're hungry. Right, he doesn't ignore that they're hungry. But then he goes into a fairly lengthy sermon about how he's the bread of life and he's the thing that they need. And I find if, if y'all in podcast world get a chance uh, John 6 is a really interesting passage of scripture as Jesus is demonstrating that he's the bread from heaven and that he's the life and he's uh, the bread that they, they really truly need. So when the purpose of the church is just to reach the lost by meeting their needs, by and even more than that, by meeting the needs felt that needs. they know that they have, right? Yeah, felt by, needs. By meeting their felt needs, then the church ends up looking more and more like the world. Like we, right. we, we, you know, there's lots of organizations out there that are designed to meet people's felt needs, and so we just end up looking more and more like the world, and we start to lose our ability to offer people something that they actually need. You know, something that they don't realize that they need. That's the whole point. We have something that people don't even realize that they need. And when we settle for just meeting what people know that they need, just meeting those needs, then we're we are less than we're called to be as a church. And so I think that brings up the other side of the coin, that as a reaction to the seeker-sensitive movement, as a reaction to the idea that the purpose of the church is for evangelism, you started to see churches raise up and react and say, no, right. the purpose of the church is for discipleship. Yeah. And, and this idea is found in passages like Acts 2.42, where it talks about how uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, uh, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. It says all the believers were together and had everything in common, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. This idea that the believers were together. The believers, every time they gathered together, they would eat meals together, they would pray, they would study the word, they would have communion. That This idea that the church is for believers. Yeah, and you and I were, were talking before the podcast about how in a lot of churches, not you know, you never want to paint everybody with one broad stroke or whatever, but um, in, in some churches where, where the focus is the believer and the focus is discipleship, a lot of times those churches become kind of closed clubs. But without a thought or without a regard to the person that's lost, or the person that's hurting, they they care most about their own needs, right? And that's not always healthy either. No, and 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 that that goes you know goes against the a lot of the parables that Jesus told, the parable of the lost sheep, where uh, the shepherd has one sheep that's out lost, and the shepherd goes out looking for the right. one sheep, and and you know the ninety nine are found, and. They're okay, but the shepherd's out looking for the one, and Jesus has a heart that beats for the lost. Right. I came to seek and to save the lost. Exactly. And so and so denying evangelism completely is unfortunately one of the dangers of, of what happens when a church embraces a pure discipleship model. And this really is not this really is not just the church. You know, you see this in Christian culture in general that we've developed a Christian brand of music and books and programming and you can even get like Christian um, uh, streaming now, like Christian Netflix now. And it's very, very easy to just kind of subtly and slowly just kind of turn your back on culture and turn your back on the world and just address 
the Christian needs. Right. Yeah. Well, and in a church like this, instead of making decisions based on the preferences of unbelievers, like an evangelism-centered church tends to do, this church ends up making decisions based on the preferences of believers. And we and then we somehow feel that that's better. Believers don't know their felt needs that much better than unbelievers do. Right. And so if if you've structured an entire church that's centered around meeting the felt needs of either unbelievers or believers, I think you're missing the purpose of the church. If we do anything that we can to make sure they feel comfortable when it comes to unbelievers, or if we're doing everything that we can to make sure that we feel comfortable, I think both of those things fall short of the purpose of the church that God designed. Right. Well, it's a false dichotomy for one thing. The idea um, that you can't have a ministry that meets the needs of uh, both believers and unbelievers, the Bible just would not would not support that. That, that you have to choose one or the other is a false dichotomy. But it goes beyond that um, because I think it's it goes beyond a false dichotomy. I think it's a false narrative because neither of those things are the chief purpose of the church. Right. That's right. Both of those things are vitally important. Correct. I mean, both of the, you know, the Great Commission in Matthew 28 emphasizes... Better be reaching on law, the, yeah, the lost. I mean, making yeah, disciples yeah. of all the nations. But again, the, the example of the early church shows that believers were together a lot. You know, not, not just hanging out at the bar with unbelievers, but they were with each other a lot, making sure that there were no needy persons among them. It was a radical community of believers. And so you, you see in Scripture that there's both... Right. But neither one is the purpose. Neither one answers the question, why does the church exist? The church does not exist for evangelism, and the church does not exist for discipleship. Not, those are, those not are the, only. Those are the hows, not the why. Yeah, that's, that's, how, that's how we go about doing what we've been called to do. But why do we exist? The answer to that question is, is deeper than that. Yeah, I would, I would phrase the answer to that question. Scott and I, we kind of worked on this verbiage together a little bit, but... The purpose of the church is to glorify God by visibly representing his kingdom on the earth. I think that is the biblical reason the church exists. It is to glorify God first, to glorify God by visibly representing his kingdom on the earth. It is the church is about and for God's glory. Yeah, think about it this way. If Jesus wants the church to provide people, all people, believers and non-believers, if Jesus wants the church to provide people with what they really need rather than what they think they need, if what Jesus is about is giving us what we really need, the bread of life, you know, himself, if, right. if, if he's about giving us what we really need, then we ought to be asking one question. What is it that all people really need? We shouldn't just be asking, oh, what, what can we do to make non-believers feel more comfortable or what can we do to make you know so that we feel more comfortable or so that we grow no what is it that everyone all people on the face of the earth really need right not just what they think they need what is it that they really need and from a, a biblical perspective what all people really need is to catch a glimpse of what the kingdom of God looks like. I, I always tend, because of the way I'm wired, I, I tend to think about things from a preaching perspective. So let me let me come at it from this angle just for a moment. When I or, or you, when, when we're writing a sermon, the wrong question is, are we writing this sermon for the believer or are, are we writing this sermon for the person that's not yet a Christian? And that's the wrong question. 
we're writing the sermon for God and his glory and his kingdom. And people, believers and those that are not yet believers, people are best served when God is most glorified. That's right. Absolutely. So we are best served when, when he's getting glory. And so the church, it shouldn't be about just about the believer or just about the unbeliever. The church is about God, his glory, and his kingdom. From a kingdom perspective, the purpose of the church is to glorify God. Right. You know, by visibly representing his kingdom. The purpose here of on everything earth. is that, that. That is the purpose. That's why the church exists. Correct. And that's why the church is important. But then we can ask how. How in the world... What are the tools we have? Yeah, I mean, how in the world can a church serve such a lofty purpose to to glorify God by visibly representing his kingdom on earth? That is a big call. That That's a big calling uh, for, for the church, especially in a world that's still broken and a church that's filled with broken people. We're not perfect. And so the kingdom of God that people will see when they look at us is not complete. It's not in its fullness. It's not, it's not all the way here yet. But that doesn't let the church off the hook that, for, for what we're called to be. And so how? How does a church do this? And I think the first thing is found in that idea of glorifying God. I think the very first priority for a church has to be worship. And I'm not just talking about singing. No, I mean, I, li- no. I like singing. And, and, you know, we talk about that. I love music, and right. music really wags my tail. But, but, <laughs> but worship is more than that. Correct. Worship yeah. means that God is at the middle of everything we do. God, personally, but also congregationally as a church, God is at the center. It makes me think of in the Old Testament, before the the nation of Israel was established, when they were wandering in the desert, they would set up their tents and the the tabernacle tent was always in the center. And all the tribes would set their tents up around the tabernacle that God was physically at the center of their community. That's a beautiful picture of worship to to me. And and that's, that's what I'm, God needs to be at the center. Okay, and, and this isn't just believers aren't at the center, unbelievers aren't at the center, God's at the center. We're not talking about how can we make these people feel more comfortable or how can we meet these people's needs. No, how can we glorify God? That's the center, and that's what worship looks like. How can we glorify God in everything we do, every decision we make, every ministry that we offer, every song that we sing, everything we do as a, as a body, how can we glorify God? And I think First uh, Peter 2, 9 and 10 uh, does a good job of, of summing this up. It says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So he talks about that purpose there of um, declaring the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. God formed us into a people in order to do this, in order to glorify him, in order to declare his praises. And so I think worship is, is, the, is the starting point for how any church can, can begin to embrace this purpose of glorifying God and representing him uh, on earth. And then, of course, we do, we do have evangelism. You know, evangelism does uh, play into this. And I, I actually think that, I hadn't noticed this before, but that First Peter 2 passage really does demonstrate also how evangelism brings glory to God if you believe that it's God who's doing the calling. Right. That we've developed this strategy of evangelism where I'm going to win you. Yeah. And so if you're one to Christ, I receive the glory. Because I won you. I beat you down until you decided to have faith. But Peter is reminding us that it's really God who does the calling and God who does the working. So every time a person walks from darkness into light, that should be a moment that we are praising God. 
right. not praising our strategy, not praising our uh, ability to win somebody, but praising God. Right. Yeah, the Great Commission in Matthew 28 is still part of the mission. That while, while that is not the purpose of the church, that is still a huge part of the mission that Jesus has called us to. Um, and so there's no excuse to ignore the nations and just focus on believers. Right. You just can't find a, a biblical loophole where you're allowed to do that. And so while the church is, is first and foremost a gathering of God's people, uh, it's also a gathering to which unbelievers are invited so that they can hear the gospel and so that they can see the gospel lived out. You know, it doesn't do, it doesn't do any good for us to be a, a living representation of God's kingdom on earth if no one ever sees it. Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 anticipates that unbelievers will be present in a worship service. That that unbelieving visitors will be there, and he's you know in the context of this passage, he's talking about spiritual gifts, about speaking in tongues, and and using the gift of prophecy, and he assumes that because unbelievers will be there, we need to be sensitive to the fact that they're there, and we need to and and not in order to cater to them Correct. and and make things comfortable for them, but in order to structure things in such a way that they are so impacted by the worship that's going on all around them that they join in. Right. And they recognize that God is really among you. Do you remember what uh, James said when the church was battling through the whole conversation about do believers, ha- do, do you have to be circumcised to be considered a believer? And it went to the council and all that. And James stood up and, and said, we're not going to make this more difficult. Right. You know, we're not going to put a stumbling block in front of people. That, that's kind of the same thing that, you know, that when, when in our worship service, our worship service exists here at Northwest to give glory to God. But we're going to be cognizant and remember that there are guests among us. Right. And so we're going to use common everyday language. We're going to try to be interesting and we're going to try to engage because we want people to come to faith. Right. We're not going to make it more difficult no. for people By to using insider Jesus. language. Right. And we're, we're, we're going to understand that we have guests with us because we do every single week. Yes. At the same time, the purpose of our gathering is not to impress guests. Correct. And the purpose of our gathering is to give glory to God. Is to glorify God. And like you said earlier, when God is most glorified, we're best served. And that's true for our guests to, as to well. To visibly represent his kingdom. Yeah. You know, we want to do that in terms of the way we give him glory. Right. We want to be a visible representation of right. his kingdom. Right. And that's God's strategy. God's strategy is for 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 someone who who does not yet know him to walk in and see a body of believers who are radically worshiping him by giving him glory and radically worshiping him by serving one another and for those non-believers to walk in and say this can only be God. When that leads us to the discipleship piece I think because I think you can come up with a lot of different ways to define discipleship. I think discipleship is a changing life that you are growing in your faith, you're maturing in your faith and your life is changing and what could possibly give God more glory than change life. And so discipleship and evangelism and, and worship, those are those are all the tools to the ultimate goal, which is to glorify God and visibly display his kingdom. That's right. As his people. I think that's a good spot to land. I do too. We'll see you next week. We can sing of-